the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go. Mental health is my wealth. The stress upon the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seeking ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. The big silence. Hello, it's Karina. Welcome back. I'm so happy we're here hanging together. I'm excited. So It is May, Mental Health Awareness Month, so at The Big Silence, we are raising our voices and making noise with the Calm Heart, Quiet Mind Challenge. So if you don't know what that is, go to hashtag Calm Heart, Quiet Mind or to The Big Silence Instagram or website and join us in sharing what you do to make sure that you have a calm heart and a quiet mind. And all of my friends were coming together and sharing just so we can all talk to each other and hang out and support each other and be like, this is what I do to have a calm heart, quiet mind. Maybe you can try this. So also in honor of May Mental Health Awareness Month and coming to an end on the end of May, on May 28th, I am so excited and I want you to join me. If you happen to be in Austin, Texas for Memorial Day weekend, I am doing an event at the Kendra Scott flagship store on South Congress. It is from 10 a.m. to about 2. Head over to thebigsilence.com for all the info on that on my social and Big Silence social. But we're going to do a yoga session and meditation followed by a little chat, sip, hang, have some sweets and shop at Kendra Scott. Just say you're there for the big silence and 20% of the proceeds goes to the big silence foundation, which is amazing. We can use all of the support to keep the foundation going for our therapy, for all program, for our upcoming youth programs and beyond. And this podcast to keep supporting the big silence and breaking the silence. So today's guest, I'm very excited about. It is Sasha Petersaw. Uh, You may know her. First of all, she's a passionate actress and author and entrepreneur, and she's been an actress for over 22 years, actually, since she was three years old. And you may know her most from the hit Pretty Little Liars. And then she was in Inherent Vice, The Honorless Heroes, many more. She is also a proud wife and her favorite role as a mama. She also has her new podcast, Women in the Nude. Women in the Nude launches 
mid-June 2023, so make sure you head out over there to check out her podcast. It's really a passion project for her, and she wants to explore the issues women are facing today from body positivity, mental health, sex, and more. And when I asked her, I was like, why did you start this? We bonded over this, and she was like, I wanted to have a community of women because she has a masculine energy, much like me. Most of our best friends are males. And she wanted to have a community and support for women and also have more just community of women to come together and have open conversations. She's so authentic. I really have loved getting to know you, Sasha. Oh, and the other thing I love, she's like, you know, I have toned up protein products in my cabinet. I was like, hell yeah. But yeah, such an authentic, open book. I think you'll really love this podcast. We talk about all things from growing up in Hollywood, body shaming in the public eye, having PCOS, rejection, boundaries, all the good stuff, all the good stuff. Enjoy this episode and make sure, as always, share this with anyone that you think would enjoy it as well. Like, comment, star on Apple podcast app. (laughs) Any support. I love you all. And together we are making everybody mentally strong. So enjoy it and I'll see you later. Welcome to the podcast, Sasha Peterson. (laughs) Just discussing our name pronouncements. What is your nationality? I'm Dutch and I'm Irish, but I'm born in South Africa. My entire family is still there, except for my parents and my mom's mom, my grandma. Peter says Dutch. Peter says very guttural. And I don't I don't think I could even fully do it justice the way that they say it. But yeah, Peter says I get all sorts of things. Piatrice, Piatrice. You know. I know. I was in, in like. Yeah, everybody knows who you are. You have a uh, huge. I don't know about that. I answer to Allie, my Pretty Liars character. That's everyone says Allie, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's it's much me. easier to say. I get sure. it. <laughs> yep, my name's Allie. <laughs> so we had a fun conversation yesterday for your new podcast. Yeah, so I started Women in the New Podcast mainly because, and like you, community for women that was really important to me. I had mainly close guy friends growing up other than my best friend. She's a rock star and has been my consistent. But when I started having health issues that were female related, I realized that I didn't have enough girlfriends to talk to about it, who understood me, who understood those just little ins and outs of even just the basics of having your period. And my mental health was always being challenged through all of this. I want that for other women. And I want to be able to facilitate that and potentially be there for that person. And this kind of ended up seeming like a no-brainer, even though I don't necessarily have the time for it. (laughs) I'm making time because it's important. So your family's from South Africa. And are you first generation, second here in the U.S.? First generation here. Yeah. No, sorry. No, I was born in South Africa, but the first of us here. (laughs) Yeah. My son, I guess, would be the first generation here. Yeah. Yeah, My grandma was pregnant with my dad when she immigrated from the Ukraine in 1950. So I'm technically second generation because she was pregnant with him and he was born here. Sasha growing up, I want to know about this because you started acting at three, right? Yeah, I was around three and a half. My parents are professional dancers. They traveled all over the place. We lived in France for a year. 
and about, I don't know, three, three or four months or so back in South Africa before everything was finalized to immigrate to the States. And that was obviously a really big change for my parents. It was fun for me. I've got memories from being in a French English school in France and Nice, which is crazy because I was so little. But America gave us so many amazing opportunities that we definitely wouldn't have had in South Africa. And my parents, based on their career, had so many friends that had already moved to the States. And we had our own little community here because of that. And a couple of them had their kids in the industry. And I was very animated as a child. <laughs> I loved being in front of the camera and taking photos and all those things. They're like, let's just get a good photo of her and send it over to our son's agency and see what happens. It's the hardest thing to do in the industry is to get representation. Magically, for some reason, they, they wanted me. So we started driving from Nevada, which is where we immigrated to, to California back and forth. And my parents just got really sick of that. So instead of taking me out of it, they decided to make the big move to California, to LA. And that was a big deal, but I loved it. I never stopped wanting to do it. And I will commend them for that because they were not stage parents by any means. I came across a lot of those and they were not stage parents. Yeah, they were very much like, if you ever want to stop at any moment, just let us know. And they were never forcing me to do it. Yeah, I just, I, ne I never wanted to stop. I was homeschooled. I did the whole shebang because I was auditioning so much and I was working. And so it's impossible to stay in one school. Teachers in a public or private school have to prepare that work for you to be able to do that on set when you're away. And they don't like to do that. And I don't blame them. So you get kicked out of a lot of schools if you're not homeschooled. And this was a good, consistent way of doing that. And I could do it on set. And I, I ended up graduating really early because I, I was working in that. That made sense. It was necessary. So you start working at three. What was your first job? The most badass job. It was a Lexus commercial. It was a Christmas Lex Lexus commercial. Oh, yeah. And I was sleeping in bed and fake snow was falling behind the window. That was the best gig ever. <laughs> just trying to three-year-old to take a nap. I love a gig where I can just sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was the first taste. And from that, it was a, lots of commercials. And I did some Polly Pocket voiceovers and... Lots of fun little silly things. And then when I was five, six, I got my first TV show, which was called Family Affair. It was the remake of the old show Family Affair. And it was with Tim Curry and Gary Cole. And that was amazing. That was a really fun first experience into television and film. But Tim Curry was just so amazing with us, with the kids on the show. They were both just class acts and that was that was really cool. We were up against friends, which is comical. It that didn't last. We were only on for a season, but it was a really nice introduction to the industry and the good side of it. Uh I want to go back to because I'm just so interested when you said you witnessed some like stage parents. What's the funniest and most interesting story? You know what? I don't even necessarily know if we can call them funny, but no, I know what you mean. It's, Most it is, it's sad and it yeah. is, there are some def definitely funny moments. I feel like I experienced more of it while you're like in a waiting room for an audition. It's these parents that are like so strict and like fixing things on their end, like going over, like very intense and almost like militant with the way that they need to make sure that their child is on, that's going to have a good audition. And then on set, they're constantly bugging people uh, or they're just making it about themselves. That happens a lot. And there's so many child actors. I mean, even Drew Barrymore, she's got such a hard history with her mom and her and her family. Either they just use the money for themselves or they want to get in with people higher up and 
Yeah, or I could see them living out their dreams through their child. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've bumped shoulders and come across a lot of people that have had tragic outcomes because of their parents and the industry. We knew somebody that would put listening devices on her son so that she could actually hear how his audition went because she didn't believe him when he would say it was good or bad which oh, I think is really messed up. Yeah, you're lying. I don't think your audition went well or it didn't go well or you didn't get feedback. So you must have done something wrong. Let's listen back. Wow. Which is just terrible. There are definitely things that I wish I could do differently and we can go into as much of that as you want. But as far as a childhood acting experience, I had a really good one. And I think it was probably because my parents were in the entertainment industry. It wasn't the same side, but their work ethic was so good that they were instilling that in me from a young age. What would you do different? You mentioned that. My mom was with me on set and not just because she legally had to be, but (laughs) just in general. She was always there. She taught me how important it was just in general to be a professional, whether it was just really focusing on what I was doing, my lines, the way that she made sure that I needed everything. It was wonderful. I always felt protected. I always felt comfortable. I really loved the environment. I really loved getting to know different sides of the camera, how it worked, everybody's job. I learned pretty early on that people treat different departments really shitty for absolutely no reason. And it was important for me to figure out how I can make that better. And I'm so happy that I was able to learn that from so young because you have to experience it. People can tell you, but you don't know until you're there in it. But because I was so good at being professional, I think I missed out on a lot of things. And that is because I was never a complainer. No one ever had to worry about me. And because of that, everybody that is loud gets paid attention to. I have learned that in my business as well. I have a lot of patience. I like to be kind. I let people sometimes walk all over me. But I also did really well in my career. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a different type of entertainment industry, you know, fitness and wellness and a, a face facing forward and just try to be respectful. And I've been told that I got a lot of jobs, even pre-tone it up, because I was easy to work with. Yeah. And I would get feedback like that. I still am very proud of it. Yeah. You would think that it would just be like we were saying the other day, like, just don't be an asshole. It's not that difficult. The people that are loud and test boundaries and get what they want, even when they don't necessarily deserve it, those are the people that that always get catered to. As an adult now, I don't regret being professional by any means. I don't wish that I was any less professional, but I do wish that I was louder when I felt like I needed something. Yeah. Cause we were talking about boundaries yesterday and the people are the loudest and maybe not the kindest and they do get what they want all the time. And then you like hold it. I'm speaking for myself. You hold it inside. I'm not being an asshole. And yet the asshole is getting everything they want. So then I'm like, okay, let me go to therapy. Let me learn about how to set boundaries and speak up for myself. It's a whole process and a different confidence that you have to build. So where are you now with setting these boundaries and realizing like, where do you use your voice? Where do you not? Like, what is it now? Yeah, it's a definitely a work in progress. This year, late last year, I made a pact with myself and my husband actually. I made a pact with myself that I'm going to take more control. I've always had good people to be around me and support me that have been chosen to do so, but I've never actually done it myself. And and that is my thing. I am taking control now. I'm speaking up when I need to. 
I'm getting much better at advocating for myself. And I've always known my value to a, a degree, but not fully. And I think that's really just, that's what it is. It's coming into my own in a way that I'm being proactive about it rather than just waiting for it to happen or waiting for there to be a moment. I think it's like a daily practice of, will I say yes to this? Will I say no to this based on what I'm worth? And I think that always scared me because I always felt like it wasn't humble. I I didn't want to think about myself being like more than I am. That always scared me. It was like a fear of being like, no, I don't want to be who does she think she is? I never wanted anyone to say that about me. So it was just, I always just kind of went with the flow, didn't make waves. And I'm just stopping that now. Yeah. But that's not a bad thing. You're speaking up and you're not, not being an asshole. You deserve a certain respect and you deserve to have a voice. And it probably took me until I was like 35 to even exercise my voice. Like I used to be in therapy and they're like, where do you feel? I'm like, my throat closes up. Do you, have you ever had that? My throat doesn't close up, but I, I definitely get everything gets warm. <laughs> it's like those cartoons. I feel like I'm going red, not on the outside, but the inside. There have been moments where I have in my in, in my career where I have stood up for myself and everybody is shocked. It hasn't happened often, but when it has, they do pay attention. Not enough, not long enough. But it is that. Having a voice. Oh, she's got an opinion on something. (laughs) I think it becomes fun then once you start to have that voice and that opinion and you say something and then, oh, your voice actually matters. And especially like in your work or my work, I think it's important. And I encourage any woman out there or man, have a voice in the kindest, nicest way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have to be an asshole with it. And I think for a, a woman too, like I've always gotten the impression of, if you speak up too much, oh, you're a bitch. She's making a scene. Those are the things which I think are so silly. I think there's definitely a double standard there where, no, this is important to me and I need you to hear me out. Hey, I have an opinion. This is important to me. I feel like we should do this way. And then I think it's better received than being an asshole. I think we're going to start a new hashtag. Hashtag don't be an I think asshole. we should. <laughs> Yeah, I really do think that we should. It's the cleanest, easiest way to put it. Maybe not clean, but. So you and your husband. Yes. You mentioned on your podcast that you work with him. He used to be in production for a long time. So he knows all of the ins and outs of the other side of the camera, which is super helpful. We were family friends. I was like, I was just getting into high school, but him and his sister or his sister and I are closer in age and he's he's a middle kid. So there's much older, there's much younger, his youngest brother I met when he was four. So I've seen the whole family grow up and we were just, yeah, we were family friends and his dad was in construction or is still actually in like set constructing and special effects and that sort of thing. And so he just got into shows like Wipeout and was helping out, worked his way through production in that way. But what was nice is that later on when we started dating, he knew it was like, oh honey, I'm coming home late tonight. It's like, that's a real thing. He knew the hours. He understood all of those things that come with being an actress. And that was really big for me because I never wanted to date an actor. Yeah. No, thanks. Competition when there really shouldn't be is very silly. I guess we just, as actors, we just have fragile egos. That's a huge part of it. Then there's a lot of travel and being intimate with people on this, on camera. And it takes somebody really confident to be okay with that and like confident in your relationship and, and all those things. But Has that ever been a thing when 
you have to be intimate with someone on camera. No, Hudson's really good with that. He, I'm not going to say that he like right away. It's not like he's like, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not like that, but he understands it. And I kind of, I was lucky in the way where I throughout our relationship kind of eased into it. I didn't have a character that was like super intimate with somebody right away. So he got, yeah, he got eased into it. And actually the first person to play my husband on camera, him and his wife are one of our best friends. So it, it worked out really well the first time. <laughs> so I think that helped. He knew the industry. He was in the industry. And because of all of those little background things that he did, he was in social media management and he's bounced around, but it's always been in this, in this world. He just started working from home so that we could go everywhere together. And that was just a blessing in our relationship. We work so well together, being in each other's company 24-7, which yeah, I was even saying on our podcast is hard. It's not something a lot of people can do. Um, and I know a lot of people struggled with that during COVID because all of a sudden they were together all the time. It's a relationship test, well, a big relationship test. And we just, we were rolling with that. That's something that works really well for us. But then he started getting more involved. So he does all the editing for the podcast. He takes the majority of my photos and we're always plotting and planning and and building our future together, which is awesome. And it's really rewarding. And we don't always agree on things in a good way. So it's not just like an echo chamber. It's yeah, we're figuring out together to make something that that we're both proud of and writing together and, and pitching shows and we're doing it all. We're doing it all the time and raising a baby. And it's unique, but I love it. I wouldn't have that any other way. Yeah, it's definitely unique working with a partner. I wouldn't say that Bobby and I work together, but he was just here before we started and he was setting up the cameras and everything. And he'll take my photos and this and that, and he'll do a lot for me. I sometimes, and we talk about this in therapy, like then there's like this resentment side. Do you guys ever have a resentment or is it just like a, you have this agreement you're married it's definitely not perfect. I think there's been a slow evolution, but what worked for us is that the type of thing that he's doing is something that he's passionate about and never completely got the opportunity before to do it. So it's almost like a, it's a learning ground, which can be both safe and also really nerve wracking because he doesn't want to mess anything up. But other life things like taking out the dog and changing diapers. And when I travel, him having to do all of it. Sometimes if it's like a quick trip, he has to be home with the baby and the dogs and, the, and do all the things. And when I'm filming, he takes on the whole load and he's so good at it. But we've definitely had those conversations of like, he, he needs something. He was like, this got too much for me. Or I can't do this anymore. I need help with this. Those types of things, which I mean, makes total sense. That's always been a priority is communication. And there are times where just life stuff, all kinds of life stuff get in there and you have to refocus and recalibrate and work on that. Definitely a work in progress always and never perfect. Life is not going to be perfect. Marriage is not going to be perfect. I love you. You love me. Let's not hashtag be assholes and <laughs> let's do this together. It's okay. I think resentment is one of the biggest things in relationships that I want to not have and avoid and like just really be doing it something together as partners, whether it's in business or work or life or family. And with you for family. So let's talk about PCOS. 
and I just want to add to this last part, the resentment thing, I think for us that, because it was there for a little bit, I think for us, the most important thing was making sure that we both have something that makes us feel fulfilled. And so in that way, I always have something that makes me feel fulfilled. I'm doing what I've always wanted to do. The important thing is making sure that he's getting fulfilled in his creative outlets. This has been the journey for us. This is what's so good about the spot that we're in right now. But yes, PCOS, okay? It's been 10 years that I've known that something is seriously wrong. I got my period really early. I wasn't even 11. It was never consistent. I didn't know when it was happening. It could be once a month. It could be every three months, every six months. I was not regular by any means. And I would go to a gynecologist and, oh, she's just young. It'll regulate. Oh, it's just nothing. It's whatever. I worked out. I ate healthy. Nothing was wrong, like visually that I could see. And then around 16, 17, just out of the blue, started gaining weight uncontrollably. And it was scary. I started Pretty Little Liars when I was 12. I was playing this like bitchy, serious, like that character that you love to hate, supposed to be like that Regina George. I was the high school, I don't know, I I hate to say this, it girl, right? It was after a book. So there's a certain thing that people are expecting to see And that was changing so fast and I had no control over it and didn't know why. I knew I I wasn't doing something actively to cause it. Weight gain is one of those things where it affects everything in the beginning. Everyone thought I was pregnant. I can't really blame them. I'm back and forth with this because it's like when we see somebody that we see regularly change drastically, it's hard not to make assumptions. It's hard not to put words in somebody else's mouth or want to know what's wrong, even if it's coming from a good place, even if it's a place of like genuine concern, like, yeah, is she okay? And I never had an answer. I didn't know what to say. And I went to 17 gynecologists and either they told me that I was lying when I said that I was eating healthy and exercising, they flat out, you're lying. You must not be doing those things because look at you or you're 20. I think I was 20 at the time. you're still young enough. It'll regulate. Like no one can tell me why this is happening to me. My mom had hyperactive thyroid. So she had the opposite issue. So I was like, can you test my thyroid? Maybe it's something that runs in the family. I've got diabetes in my family. I had to beg for people to look into things and they didn't really. Doctors just didn't really care. They also just wanted to put me on birth control. Now I have nothing wrong with the pill. If it's working for you, that type of thing wasn't working for me. Someone finally was like, why don't you go to an endocrinologist? I went to one and she changed my life. She listened to me. It was the first doctor's office where somebody actually was like, really wanted to hear me out and hear what what was happening to me daily and had the right types of questions that let me think about, oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that happens too. And she was like, I'll, I'll run a blood test to make sure, obviously, but it sounds like you've got PCOS. I was like, what the hell's that? <laughs> I never heard of it. Polycystic ovarian syndrome. Like, what is that? It's actually kind of a silly name because not everybody has ovarian cysts. You don't have to have cysts to have PCOS. It's a hormone imbalance disease. And it's something that right now they don't have a cure for. You can get it to a place, hopefully, ideally, that it can be dormant, but it never goes away. And with this imbalance comes lots of issues, whether it's really intense gastro issues. A lot of it has to do with high levels of testosterone. So it could be hair growth in strange places. It can be migraines. It's a lot of it has to do with your diet. It affects your periods. It affects your fertility. 
weight gain is a big side effect symptom, but not everybody has it. So there are so many women out there that have no idea that they've got PCOS because you can't visually see it, but they're having intense pain elsewhere. And it's just written off because it can look like so many different things. But studies have shown that a lot of women that have had breast cancer or ovarian cancer have had PCOS and no one knew. So it's this disease that is so common that goes undiagnosed and turns into really scary, life-threatening things later if you don't find it. And people are definitely becoming more aware of it now. Even just a couple of years ago, no one had even heard of it. When you get that diagnosis, like what did your doctor say was the next step? So from that point, which I really respect about her, she didn't want to just put me on any medication. She really wanted to figure it out. And we eventually settled on metformin, which is a medication. It's got a lot of different uses, but people take it for lots of different things. But basically the idea is that it helps you ovulate. It makes sure that you regularly ovulate, which encourages your periods to be regular. It helps you with your insulin resistance. That definitely started working for me. I noticed a big change after that. And she put me on the keto diet. I wasn't strict enough, I feel like, in the beginning at first. I noticed changes, but it wasn't like crazy drastic. But the biggest thing was that I was able to slowly, very slowly start losing weight again. What I was doing, what I had been doing started actually working. And just to go back on what I was dealing with, it wasn't just weight gain. I was hardly able to do any cardio. I would be almost passing out. Um, I would be throwing up during my workouts. It was so bad for any sort of drive. I was like, I'm doing something for me and I feel like shit. It was like hitting my head against a brick wall. And the things that I should have been eating, healthy things, made me feel sick. I was definitely putting a lot of pressure on myself, but it would be every time. It was really unreasonable. Yeah. It wasn't just like a every now and then, or I'm going to really push myself today, or I'm really trying to grab these endorphins. And that was the other thing is I wasn't feeling any sort of rush for my workout. I wasn't feeling validated or encouraged or even general like, yeah, that was that felt good. That was good for my body. I never felt that. And I used to love working out like that. It was such a big shift and for so long. So when this medication started working, when I was slowly starting to get better, that was great. It wasn't amazing. It wasn't this like night and day shift, but I could feel that it was getting better. Um, which in itself felt like such a big victory then. I would go through phases where I, I would have a flare up and I would gain 30 pounds. And then I would start to lose that again. And then I would have a flare up and it, it would happen again. And so it's such a zigzag through this history that you would just see if you just Google me. When we started trying to have a baby, we thought it was going to be like a year and a half, two year process. And I'd probably have to have help. Because one of the biggest things with PCOS is infertility and just struggling to get pregnant. You're more likely to have a miscarriage. You're more likely to have gestational diabetes. You're prone to a lot of different things when you get pregnant with PCOS. We had just hunkered down and figured that we're going to have a tough go at this, but yeah, we're in it. And we got pregnant within the first month, which was just, we were shocked. Pleasantly, obviously, but we were shocked. And then it was like, oh, okay, we had we'd prepared to be in this for a while. And all of a sudden, no, all right, we're having a baby. And, and about a week and a half after I found out I was pregnant, we went into COVID lockdown. That was interesting. Definitely an emotional roller coaster. I, though, was 
I was pretty healthy during my pregnancy. I didn't get gestational diabetes. I did gain a lot of weight. Again, no I mean, number one, it was 2020. It was COVID. I think we right. all yeah. were gaining weight. I've gained like 30 pounds and people are like, is she okay? Is she okay? Right. Like, Ugh, yeah. No, I'm not okay. I'm stuck at home. My mother's dying. <laughs> my, <laughs> my hormones yeah, are off. There's a lot of things. <laughs> Lots a, going on. A lot of things happening. Yeah. I had a pelvic dysfunction, which basically my body re- released too many relaxing hormones at once and my my muscles weren't holding my skeleton together. <laughs> Super cool. So I had chronic pain through my pregnancy from my, I would say three months up until the end. So I couldn't, I couldn't even really do yoga and Pilates. I was in so much pain. I couldn't sleep properly. That was a nightmare. I enjoyed being pregnant in general. That, that really sucked. Those are my biggest things. And I was super thankful for that. And this magical thing happened after I had him. I got my period for the first time, I think three months, four months in to postpartum. And that was, that's pretty early, but my hormones regulated. I've been regular ever since knock on wood, every step in the right direction is paying off. It's documented that that you have a chance of pregnancy actually helping reset your hormones, but I never even imagined that would happen. I don't have kids, but, and that is one of my reasons is because of mental illness running in my family. And I don't want to mess with my hormones that much myself and just other risk of child with a mental illness. And I just dealt with it my entire life. But yeah, that, but then a lot of women through pregnancy have postpartum depression. Did you have any of that? or I didn't think that I did until I was out of it. And looking back, I absolutely did. I absolutely did. I struggled to breastfeed and that was something that was important to me. My milk never came in. I was really hard on myself with that. That was a really big issue. And um, yeah, I I definitely, I would say for, for at least two months, I was in a really dark place and we couldn't go anywhere. It was COVID. I was scared of everything. I didn't want anyone to to see him because who knows, we, there were so many unknowns. We weren't traveling anywhere. We weren't, I thought I was okay and, until I was out of that cloud and looking back on it for sure. I definitely went through a bit of a depression. I've had friends that it's been really bad. Like I still felt I connected with Hendrix, not as much as I would have liked to. And it was a lot of it was mom guilt, but I have girlfriends who until their baby was six months, they didn't feel like their baby was theirs. They didn't feel like they had any sort of like motherly instinct or connection. And I think part of it is obviously hormones. Your body has changed so much. And then on top of it, we put so much pressure on ourselves. We have so much anxiety. We want to be the best. There's so much that we don't want to be like, and so many things that we do want to be. I just had this thought in my head when you say that, and so many of your friends are like, you this pressure to be this perfect mom, because you're thrown into all of a sudden, you're a mother. And it made me think of like imposter syndrome for career, like what makes me worthy of this role, but you're thrown into it. And I can see where that can like really make you, your, your mind go in so many different directions, but really talking yourself out of that and be like, you are a woman, you are a mother. Yeah. It's a wild experience. I love it so much, but it's definitely something that if you don't want it, no one should be forced into it. I love my son. He's the best thing ever, but I've also always wanted to be a mom. 
And it's been a tough journey, but it's been really rewarding because of it. He's so worth it for us and, and what we want out of life. But we are one and done. People get so offended on Hendrix's behalf that he will not have a sibling. It's wild. I always knew that existed, but I was an only child and I loved it. I loved kids. I loved, I, I nannied for a long time. Like I love kids. So I think a lot of those things came naturally, but I never felt like I missed anything in my childhood because I was an only child. Everyone's experience is different, but it has really shocked me how people either are completely dismissive of your feeling. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. Yeah. Let me know in a couple months. Oh, sure. Okay. Or, and you're like, no, for real, like we have made our decision. It's like, oh, honey, you have time. It's that stuff. It's, oh, you're like, oh my. Okay. I had to finally start speaking out about Bobby and I not having kids because the amount of questions I was getting. Yeah, oh, and of course, like, Rena gained weight. She's pregnant. Oh, maybe she lost the baby. She lost it. I'm like, no, let us all be us. Hashtag don't be an asshole. And like, <laughs> it's okay, whatever we choose. And even from my family, my dad, and I know he's going to be listening to this, but, you know, I had to have a conversation with him because he's like, well, it's part of the human life cycle. I should be a grandparent. And I'm like, dad, this is my life and my choice. And we talked through it. And so now he's okay. He enjoys his five Pomeranian grandchildren and <laughs> my sister's dog. And I'm like, this is it. I want to get to a few of the community questions. But I have one more thing I want to bring up. Yesterday when we were doing your podcast, you mentioned rejection. And I wrote it down because you had mentioned how you learned to deal with rejection. What is your best tip on that and what do you mean like rejection in what sense i'm gonna again throw this back to my mom because they were really good about instilling this in me and this is strictly for the industry but i feel like it can be applied to a lot of things from the very beginning they were like do your best on this audition and then forget about it and that sounds really simple but it's a necessity especially with ones that i really want you put everything into it and you really want to get that one you really can envision yourself being that person and then you never hear back or it's a no. And you have to really swipe the slate clean, forget about it and move on to something else. That's at its simplest. Rejection in the industry happens on a, a daily basis. People are unhappy with your direction, whatever that might be, whether that's your what you look like, what you're saying, or just your, you as an individual, people reject you a lot for roles, for relationships, everything. And then when it actually comes to like getting a job, like I, I got replaced and that was awful. I had never felt that type of rejection before where you get something big. You feel there's like that bubble of this is going to change your life. And then it just gets snatched out from underneath you. And I'm thankful it happened before I was an adult. It actually happened right before Pretty Little Liars, but it, it was a big job and it was a hard audition process. It did like a whole full rehearsal on set. We were putting stuff in my dressing room and get all the welcome baskets. You're doing all the press junkets. You're walking all the red carpets. And then out of nowhere, with no warning, I got replaced. You have the celebration dinner and all your family and friends know. And it's awful. It's awful. The hard part is that I had to learn to let myself still be excited about things after that. What it made me do is want to not celebrate anything. It made me want to be like nothing is final until it's final. There's a balance there, right? There should be harmony there, like we were talking about. 
I found that now. Sometimes I still struggle with it, but I had a hard time celebrating any victory because of that. Shortly after, and didn't feel short in the time uh, or at the time, but shortly after, I got pretty liars, and I was like, okay, this is where this is this is what yeah. There was a reason. There's always a reason. That project actually tanked. It didn't last. I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but as far as my personal journey, it all shook out. Thank God in that way. Thank God that happened. But it was a great life lesson because I had to deal with so many emotions. I had to deal with them pretty young too, but it set me up for the fact that you aren't owed anything and you need to work hard for things. It's okay to celebrate when good things happen to you and you need to have a good a good support system around you when things don't and when they do when things don't yeah when everything happens for a reason and you ended up okay would you ever consider writing a book about mental health or other important topics oh i love that i to be honest haven't the book that i wrote was a cookbook and i loved that but no i haven't thought about that but now i will and now yeah maybe something about pcos i know that's like big on my heart and has obviously has been so maybe the answer is maybe upcoming projects i know you're flying somewhere soon i can't talk about it yet but i can say it's a really fun it's a really fun project i I feel like my fans will really enjoy seeing this role it's fun i get to be somewhat cruel in the fun ways as well yeah i'm really excited about it my answer is yes there's a cool project yes it's coming and i will talk about it as soon as i can (laughs) And Women in the Nude, my my podcast. That is one of my projects. Yeah. June 14th is the release of my podcast. I'm very excited about it. Any exciting guests you want to announce? Or no? Karina Dawn. Karina. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I can't say anything about anyone else yet either. I got like a, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Lots of amazing, powerful, really cool women. Well, in this with, what is the best advice you have for people who are struggling mentally? grace for yourself. Give yourself grace. Everyone has their own journey and struggling with your mental health is not a weakness. It's such a big misconception. That's not a weakness. In fact, it is one of the bravest things that you can do is working on yourself. The time to start is now. The place to start is where you're at. There's always a place to move forward. I agree. And lastly, anything else to share? Obviously, your new podcast, you can find anywhere where podcasts can be found, Spotify, Apple, all the things. All the things, all the places. I'll be releasing the full video on YouTube. Follow me on Instagram, Sasha Petersa, for all the new things, latest things coming out. The rest of the year is going to be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And Instagram for women in the nude. And also, I always forget, I also have a YouTube channel where put all the videos i never really promote it but hey you can watch this subscribe. on youtube yeah, yeah. subscribe share all <laughs> the things <laughs> all right sasha yeah thank you this was yeah. wonderful thank you for having me hopefully many more thank you for joining us today and every wednesday if you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. 
Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love, the type of love that will defeat anxiety, the type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The big silence.